Welcome to the Hypermobility Happy Hour, the first podcast exclusively dedicated to discussing hypermobility conditions, including hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. On this podcast, we like to look at what can be done to treat hypermobility and how to improve our lives given our circumstances. Today, we have a very exciting guest, Dr. Megan Barker of Rhythm Health. Megan has a Doctor of Physical Therapy degree from the George Washington University, where she is a current member of the adjunct faculty at the university's Doctor of Physical Therapy program. Megan is a board-certified specialist in orthopedic physical therapy. She is also a certified women's health coach through the Integrative Women's Health Institute. Dr. Barker also has Pilates training. Megan is particularly passionate about treating women with hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome and hypermobility spectrum disorder. Throughout her practice, Megan has worked with many women who had previously been misunderstood or misdiagnosed and as a result suffered from poorly managed care. Megan is known on Instagram as Hypermobility Health Coach and she offers free workshops. We'll also include a link to her website, Rhythm Health LLC, in the episode description as well as a link to her Instagram page. Megan, hello, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Uh, Let's jump right in. First, could you tell us a little bit about what led you into health coaching and physical therapy? Yes, of course. Um, So I actually grew up dancing from a very young age. Um, It was my dream to dance professionally or own a dance studio. Dance really, you know, consumed most of my time and energy. Um, And then my senior year of college, um, I really struggled with injuries and ended up having surgery. So of course, through that experience, I spent a lot of time in physical therapy. um, And I realized how interesting and intriguing it was to me. Um, I've always loved science and movement and anatomy. I realized it could be you know, a great career for me. So that's when my course kind of changed to PT from the dance world. Um, And it's been a great fit for me. Uh, And then a couple years ago, I was made aware of health coaching and how powerful it can be for helping people take back control of their health. Um, I've always actually treated clients with kind of a coaching mindset without realizing it, um, but getting my certification really strengthened those skills and helped me pursue coaching uh, as another offering to my clients. Wow, it, it's such a great story, and I think you've kind of you've hit on two important points there that I just kind of want to underscore. Um, the first one, um, it's so in- it reminds me of how interesting it is that so many of us start off really strongly down one path, you know, for many people, it's like an athletic pursuit, like you said, it was dance. Um, Some people it's academic or, um, you know, another field. Um, But it's like this idea of the dream deferred, like we're going down one path kind of a million miles an hour, and then symptoms catch up to us. um, And then, you know, a lot of us are forced to switch gears. And that can be really traumatic, especially when you're not seeing it coming and don't sort of have a game plan. So I think it's really great that you were able to kind of transition your first love into your new love and practice. So, um, you know, kudos to you for figuring that out. Um, cause that can be so tricky. Um, and it, you know, it, it, it goes again to like the idea of the importance of early diagnoses and early interventions so that people can kind of make informed choices and be aware 
from an earlier age. So they're not as maybe blindsided by that kind of onslaught of um, symptoms, the kind of cascade that many of us have unfortunately experienced. Um, so yeah, great, great work, I guess, transitioning your, your first, um, your first act into your, your next act. Um, and then you also talked about, um, how health coaching can help people gain back a sense of control. And I think that's so critically important because it's almost like this is sort of a symptom of the first issue I was talking about. Um, you know, many of us start out our lives, um, you know, very capable, maybe even sort of exceptionally capable. Um, but as age and micro tissue injuries and major tissue injuries and comorbidities and whatever else kind of stack up, um, you know, our functionality can be seriously reduced and nothing prepares you for how to deal with that. (laughs) And there really isn't a great support structure or, you know, a way to figure that out. So I think it's so great that you've identified that as a key issue in the community and are, you know, working you know, to educate yourself about how to help people with that. But it's such an important thing. And and that's been a sort of key thought of mine to kind of flip the script or change the narrative. You know, it feels like sometimes we're kind of in this spiral of loss, losing capability, um, you know, losing functionality, you know, maybe for some of us losing jobs, friends, you know, family members that don't understand. You know, I just talked to a hypermobile person recently was saying we all only have a finite amount of empathy and so it can be really taxing on friends and family members to keep up with um us especially when we decondition and fall apart sometimes really rapidly and so um i think that's really awesome that you're aware of that issue and helping people to navigate it yeah i think you bring up a great point with awareness as well like i i actually didn't know anything about physical therapy before I ended up in physical therapy. So having people understand what resources there are available um, before we have, you know, the big issue, um, I think can be really vital. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot of, I mean, I guess, misconceptions about physical therapy. And frankly, there's just so many experiences we can have with physical therapy. So it's almost it's almost hard to be educated about it in the current space because, you know, with insurance companies and who will cover what, like it almost seems like, you know, a bit random who you'll end up with. And so if you're not actively seeking out someone with knowledge of hypermobility, um, you know, a lot of patients report either, you know, being injured or having pain flares get worse from physical therapy. Um, Unfortunately, that's certainly something I've experienced or just this sense of frustration, not being able to keep up with a, t- a quote unquote typical or standard, you know, protocol of physical therapy and feeling very discouraged from that. And that's kind of the last thing this community needs is for discouragement. So, um, yeah, I agree. I think it it's important for patients to be aware of what physical therapy is, what it can and can't do. Um, you know, I think some people have been overly rosy, especially people without hypermobility. Um, you know, I've had a ton of injuries and I've had people say, oh, I had, you know, an injury and I went to physical therapy and in six weeks I was totally better. And it's like, great, that's cool. (laughs) But that's a lot, that's not often not our experience. And it can be, it's really, really hard, especially in certain areas of the country, but 
you know, really throughout the world, it's really hard to find providers who are knowledgeable about our unique um, physical makeup and our unique issues. And so I agree. I think um, awareness and, 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 and again, that sense of control, like if, if it's not working for you and you just have in your gut, like, mm, this isn't a good fit, like just even having the knowledge to know, like, okay, I can go out and find, you know, keep trying and hopefully find someone who is knowledgeable or at least willing to learn. Completely. Yep. That's, those are my criteria as well. Either someone that's willing to learn or really understands your condition. Mm-hmm. Um, on your website, you mentioned that you work with many women who have been misunderstood by their medical providers in the past. Do you have thoughts on why this phenomenon happens so frequently to hypermobile patients and patients with EDS, other connective tissue disorders, and what we can do to push for more accurate diagnoses and treatments? Yeah, so I think there's a lot of reasons for this, and it's really unfortunate that it happens uh, so often. I think one aspect is that knowledge of these conditions and the medical and health professionals is um, unfortunately still quite low, especially in some areas. Um, so that takes you know improvements and education and also willingness to continue learning once you're out practicing. Um, But I think it also really takes more willingness to listen. Um, As providers, we need to remember that our clients do have an innate understanding of their body. So we need to listen to them um, because they really have some important information to share. Um, And I think there's also this mentality that if we don't understand what's going on, if we get this... um, you know, list of symptoms and signs that we can't quite put together, then the patient must be making it up or they must be exaggerating it because I can't put that picture together. Um, and I think it it tends to come from this place of, of fear of not knowing what's going on and, and trying to maintain that role as an expert. Um, you know, it can be scary when something new comes up that you don't know how to put together. Um, but I think it's, it's way more helpful and really important to more come from a place of, I believe you, I hear you, I'm willing to collaborate with you. Um, you know, having someone believe you really gives comfort and actually can be empowering. Um, I actually had a client the other day who was saying, you know, she's had these interactions before and they can lead you to not believe yourself that you stop believing your own experience, that she was starting to believe that these symptoms couldn't be happening. And like, how devastating is that to not believe yourself? Um, And, you know, I believe in really truly using that act of listening so that you can connect those dots and build a better relationship with um, the patients because the better that connection is, the more valuable information you can actually get from, from the patient because um, they trust you and there's great rapport there. And then more comes up that you can include in, in that story. And, uh, you know, as you've talked about a lot, you know, awareness is also really important and this community is doing great work to increase awareness. So I think 
that's an important aspect. Um, and then like we talked about before, really trying to seek out providers that are willing to listen and learn. And then on the patient side, you know, trying to be as well prepared for your interactions as you can. Um, so that unfortunately in that limited time that you may have, um, you can, uh, pass on as much information as possible. Totally. There's so much you just said that I think is so important. And just to kind of underline and underscore a bit of that, the phenomenon of, um, well, first of all, like you said, there's so many things, it, it looks like there's so many issues that are disconnected that, you know, how could this person, especially if they're a younger person, or, you know, we get all the time that but you don't look sick. <laughs> um, and so there's sort of this, um, you know, perplexed reaction that happens a lot that I've heard of so many times from patients and that I've experienced. And just this real lack of curiosity among a lot of providers and not to blame them um, because I really do think it is a systemic issue. And, you know, most doctors and even most like, you know, insurance um, authorized, you know, physical therapists, they have such a limited time to spend with us. And, you know, every human wants to feel like the work that they're doing is creating progress and so, you know, I definitely understand on a human level how we're perplexing and challenge the egos of people who can't immediately put the picture together. And, you know, it's frustrating when you want to help someone and you can't, but it's very dismaying how that often goes to, well, oh, well, this must just be exaggerated. You must be a hypochondriac because um, in my experience in talking to, you know, patients, um, you know, through this podcast and through support groups and just, you know, people I've kind of met along the way, I really get the opposite sense that a lot of we us have shame about how many quote unquote issues we have. And so, you know, a lot of people really kind of shut down and don't talk about those things. And we really only go to the doctor or, you know, for some of us, you know, we'll really only go in when something's gotten you know, really to the point where we can't figure it out on our own. Um, and then, and then to have someone not believe you is just devastating. It's, it's like this emotional gaslighting. Um, and then when it comes to the point of, and, and, you know, I'm so glad you mentioned that story of, you know, your experience with your, um, patient about, you know, not believing themselves even like I experienced that too. I was having horrible spasms in my trapezius muscle and neck, you know, and it turns out I've craniosacral cervical instability or atlanoaxial instability. And, um, you know, all, all these things that now I understand where that pain is coming from, but I was going to the doctor before being diagnosed. And I remember one time, you know, it was maybe my third follow-up visit for this pain because they tried a bunch of different things that didn't work. And she just came in and said, you know, in a very harsh tone, um, oh, I see our treatments aren't working for you. And, and it was like, yeah, but why are you saying it like that? Like, like, I'm struggling here. I'm, you know, in tears, you know, at my desk trying to hide it because I'm in so much pain. And then it came to this point where when my shoulder would be throbbing, I would literally be thinking to myself, shoulder, you're fine. Like, why are you screaming at me? You know? And so I think that can really fracture our relationship to our bodies and our sense of 
I mean, even what, what is reality, if not our sense of what our body is. And so, um, and it's a problem that can be remedied, like you said, by listening. Um, and again, not to put this whole burden on healthcare professionals, because, you know, I think they're way overtaxed and stretched so thin. Um, but I'm reminded of um, Dr. Heidi Collins gave this, uh, I think it's a presentation and maybe has like a, um, a fact sheet on it too, where she says, if you can't connect the issues, think connective tissues. And I just, I love that pithy little statement. And I just wish we could get that out into the world more broadly. Uh, you know, I don't know how, if any listeners out there have any um, ideas, um, some of us are kind of working on some initiatives and awareness ideas. So, you know, feel free to reach out, email us at hypermobility happy hour if you, um, you know, do have some ideas. But yeah, it's, it's really, it's an unfortunate um, sort of confluence in events. And then when you couple that with the fact that the mean time to diagnosis is, I think, still in decades after people experience symptoms. So if you go decades, you know, with all these strange pains and, you know, a lot of us struggle with, you know, infections or skin conditions or, you know, mast cell, whatever else, POTS, you know, on top of the hypermobility, um, that's a lot to unwind and kind of reprogram and switch your perspective on. And the later in life we go, without those diagnoses and answers, you know, just the more difficult that is for everyone. So <laughs> sometimes I feel like I'm screaming into the void about the need for more awareness and stuff. But I, I think slowly, you know, people like you and, you know, there's so many great advocates out there. I think slowly I, you know, I've started to feel like maybe the narrative is starting to change. Um, but still, it's it's really unfortunate how how many of us have to suffer and for for how long before we can get to at least a better understanding of what's going on. Yep. We have, unfortunately still a lot of work to do, but I agree. I think we're, we're getting there. Yes. And you also hit on how important it is for us to be as prepared as possible for our appointments. And I think that's such a great piece of advice. And, you know, I, I used to kind of go into the, the doctor with, like, a, okay, I'm going to discuss these issues. And I would leave and I would think, oh, I forgot this and this. And, you know, I was just stressed and distracted. And so I would start making a list in my phone and really try to keep it to three things at most. Because, you know, I think that's kind of realistic for what is achievable, especially during like a 30 minute appointment or something. Um, but it's interesting. I read somewhere that one of the kind of things about hypermobile patients that make us um, well, that that is part of the factor of having the friction with the medical establishment is that um, most people go into the doctor on their worst day when they look their worst. Um, so they're, you know, usually out in society, you know, they look functional, but they're going to the doctor in a day when they're maybe in their sweats, they're, they look sick. Um, and, and so they, they need help. Whereas a lot of hypermobile patients are going into the doctor on their best day and are prepared and, um, you know, maybe have to plan a lot of logistics. So they're, you know, really kind of on point when they finally get to the doctor. But the idea that that's kind of the opposite model of what they see. So it, if especially in people that, you know, aren't aware of hypermobility conditions, which is such a big percent of the medical community, unfortunately, um, I can see how that raises eyebrows. Like, oh, like they look fine and they have this long list and they're very articulate. 
Um, so it's just, it's such a hard balance of like, how do we, you know, prepare and, and take control of our situation, but, and, but without being stigmatized or dismissed or kind of gaslit further. And I think one of the best things we can do is go to practitioners who have that knowledge already. So we're not educating them. They're educating us. That's the way it's supposed to be. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's such a funny thing that obviously, you know, we should know that the picture on the outside is not the full picture. So you don't have to look sick to Mm -hmm. to be sick. Um, And we should just, you know, as a baseline, go in believing our patient's story, because that's the decent thing to do and, and go from there. Yes. And it's, it's strange. Like, I've heard this, you know, when I've, when there's been discussions around, you know, like universal healthcare, stuff like that, I've heard people say, well, everyone would just go to the doctor, people would just go to the doctor all the time. And I think like, but what people? Because everyone I know, or like, okay, not everyone, let's not exaggerate, but most of the people I know, um, you know, especially in the hypermobility community, have really been traumatized by the medical experience in some way, whether it's a huge bill, being dismissed, being mistreated, misdiagnosed. And so I think a lot of people do whatever they can to avoid going in to see a professional. And, you know, maybe that leads to a situation of going in when it's like, you know, a really, you know, dire situation, which can be very stressful um, in and of itself. But yeah, it's just, it's such an unfortunate kind of confluence of factors um, that, you know, hopefully again, that magic word awareness will, you know, help to kind of alleviate in the future and empower patients to um, follow their gut and, and know that they, they deserve to be um, listened to. And, and that, that the, the default should be to believe patients. Like I, I always say, if I had the imagination to come with all the different things that have happened to me. I wouldn't be in Wisconsin in the winter. I'd be out in Hollywood writing screenplays. <laughs> I wish I could make this kind of thing up. Like it's, you know, it's, it's wild. I stopped counting at 23 conditions and diagnoses myself, but that seemed like plenty. Um, but it's like, yeah, stuff I, you know, I had never ever heard of Ehlers or Danlos, you know, before, um, you know, essentially, you know, that being, my condition, learning that very late in life, late twenties. And so, yeah, a lot of misconceptions and, um, you know, so much need for awareness, so little time, basically. So it looks like there are two aspects to your practice, um, the physical therapy side and the health coaching. Um, and many of us in the hypermobility community are very familiar with physical therapy. Um, but health coaching is not, um, as commonly, Uh, used. Um, So first, let's talk about the physical therapy part of your practice. Could you describe your practice and how it differs from maybe the standard model of physical therapy that many patients with hypermobility conditions and EDS have experienced in the past? Yeah, so I work one-on-one with my clients, actually seeing them in their home. Um, and I think it's been a great environment to work in because, you know, people tend to be more comfortable in their home and we can also work within their environment. Um, you know, so if they're having difficulty with, you know, their home desk setup or being able to do something in the kitchen, we can directly work on that. 
but also thinking about if I'm developing an exercise program, you know, how are you going to do this? What equipment do you have around you? How can we use this space to work effectively? Um, so just, you know, being able to really address it concretely. Um, I also really treat as a whole person. So if you're mainly, you know, seeing me because of neck pain, I'm definitely going to look at your neck. Um, but we're going to look at how you're moving and functioning overall um, to improve your quality of life now, but also think about the future. And like we've talked about, you know, this is a connective tissue issue. So it's, you know, body wide, um, there's likely a lot more going on there. Um, like I said before, I really want my clients to take back control. I want them to feel like they're in charge and leading the process. Um, you are an expert in your body and I'm there with some more tools and to assist you in the process. Um, so that might look a little bit different than uh, that, that standard model. And then outside of that, um, I'm also, you know, able to see dancers and work on that uh, more specific um, art form, which keeps me connected with my, my dance background. That's awesome. And I think it's so great that you do house calls because um, that makes so much intuitive sense that people are more comfortable in their home environment um, you know, especially people with reduced mobility, but really anybody. Um, mm -hmm. I can't remember the last time I was in a medical facility and felt anything close to comfort. <laughs> um, <laughs> they're kind of anti-comfortable, you know, the fluorescent lights and um, mm -hmm. just the whole dynamic. It sounds like it's kind of inverted in, in a great way um, with your practice. And, um, and again, I love that idea of treating the whole person. And I think that's so important. And our medical system has become so siloed, where people are hyper specialized in one thing. And so it's, it's like the old, like saying about if you had a bunch of blind people feeling an elephant, how they'd all be describing different parts mm -hmm. of it. And so we've, we, we've really needed in the community for so long, people to look at us, you know, as whole people, not just whole bodies, but a life. Mm -hmm. and, and so I think that's so awesome that you can go into people's homes and give them really targeted, useful advice on, you know, starting where they, meeting them where they're at, first of all, I think is really key. You know, I think mm -hmm. a lot of people kind of assume we're more functional than we are, especially because, you know, many people can be, you know, very um, articulate, you know, we're very smart. Um, you know, especially when our brain fog and other symptoms aren't conspiring against us. And stuff. <laughs> um, and so, you know, that can be sort of threatening or off-putting to some people, but, um, you, you know, and I think a lot of us feel shame and kind of hide our, the things that we're not doing so well at and kind of, um, cobble through, you know, ways to get through them, but having an expert who you can trust, you know, to be able to evaluate, you know, the way you're moving and living, and offer suggestions, again, with that notion that you just said in mind, that the patient is really driving um, the, the treatment path and the goals. And I think that's so important, too, because I think, uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, for a lot of us, we've experienced the standard regimen where we go in and it's like the goals are being told for us of where we should be. Right. And 
that's really tough because, you know, a lot of us are very goal oriented people, you know, when, you know, we've sort of started out or had success in our lives in some area. And so if we're not able to meet someone's expectations, that can be really devastating. So I think flipping that script around and saying, no, you're in the driver's seat, um, you know, realistically, what do you want your life to look like and how can we work to get you closer to that vision? Mm-hmm. Yep, completely. Um, so let's talk a little bit now about the health coaching side of your practice. Um, what do you think are the key benefits of health coaching and what types of things do you help your clients with on this part of your practice? Yeah, so health coaching is you know not well known yet uh, as a possibility um, overall, but I really focus on listening to my clients. And like you said earlier, having that curiosity about their situation. Um, I think truly listening to someone is unfortunately fairly rare in our daily life. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's how we were really going to build strong connections and, and being heard can actually give you more self insight. Um, I find it really interesting that like hearing your own words out of your mouth can bring understanding to the situation. So like hearing you, you yourself say the words and have someone mm-hmm. uh, reflect them back uh, is a really interesting and powerful experience. Um, and with, with my clients in that health coaching relationship, we're looking at all components of their lifestyle and how that's affecting their quality of life. So it can be things like, you know, their sleep, their movement, their stress, their support system and their community, and a whole lot of other aspects. Um, and a lot of the time, those components are not being addressed by their medical team. Um, and then it's up to my clients to decide what aspects they really want to work on. And I'm there to help implement that change that they're really motivated to move towards. So for some people, it's working on a morning routine or getting back into some kind of regular movement, um, like swimming or walking, something like that. Uh, Or it might be working on communicating and building their support system, whether that's, you know, their um, family and friends and other supports, or if it's more about their uh, building their medical team. Um, I think there's there's so many aspects um, that can be addressed to improve quality of life. And like I've said a few times, you know, the client is really the expert in deciding what to take on when. Um, you're going to be much more motivated to make a change that you decide than something that someone else tells you you should do. Um, and there's there's no one size fits all, especially for our hypermobile um, population. So um, many times it might be trialing something new, but in a very safe and systematic way. Um, we we all know how difficult it is to build new habits. Mm-hmm. So working with someone, I think, um, can be really powerful in order to work through those challenges, bounce ideas off each other, and also celebrating those wins. I think yeah. that's um, important as well. Sometimes we're, you know, looking so much to that ultimate goal that we forget to, 
notice those smaller things that really are our wins. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think giving giving my clients tools to, to better understand their body, really making them feel empowered, feel supported, um, and also, you know, being someone to uh, provide resources if they if they need that. Um, I think health coaching can be a really great addition to the medical and support team um, in order to kind of brainstorm, develop plans, and and execute and have that accountability throughout. Absolutely, I yeah. It sounds frankly, I'm like, gosh, I need to get into this myself. It sounds great. <laughs> and I, there's so much in what you said there that I think is um, so important and just speaks to your, you know, really deep level of insight into this population. Like it's really clear. I mean, you know, ha- you know, working with these issues yourself, obviously, you know, helps a great deal, but it's just so obvious that you have listened. And like you said, it's such a rarity to have people engaging in active listening these days. Mm-hmm. It's like everyone's just waiting for their turn to you know, get in their hot take of the day or whatever. Um, Uh And when we're suffering, um, that can be really difficult. And there is so much shame and, um, you know, secrecy. And so, like you said, it's, it's tremendously valuable to have someone who you trust, who you can, you know, express your fears and your concerns to. And you're so right that just that process of saying them out loud and have someone react in a supportive way and not be horrified what you just said (laughs) and instead be like okay wow like you know that's tough like let's let's work through this like let's come up with a plan to help you not suffer with that so much I think that's just amazing and you know again it, it brings up to mind to me the fact that um you know where there is tremendous pain and suffering there's also tremendous opportunity Mm-hmm. And, you know, for a lot of us, and it is such a spectrum, you know, there's people that are, you know, beyond functional, there's people that are like world class athletes, I think that have this condition and, you know, famous actors and musicians, and I won't call anyone out because I think everyone should, um, you know, be on their sort of personal narrative when it comes to their health diagnoses. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, so there's this huge range, but for people that are really suffering. And, you know, I, I think it's, it's, it's a range from, like I said, like the most hyperfunctional people on earth to, you know, people that are, you know, bedridden or in just these really, you know, struggling with CSF leaks and, you know, unbelievably difficult conditions. And so, um, you know, for for a medical establishment that's built on half hour, 40 minute appointments, maybe if you're lucky, um, that's really not a system that's geared towards addressing people with as many and the volume and depth of issues that we can often have. And so, um, you know, it's kind of shocking to me how many providers just sort of give up at a certain point, because Mm -hmm. to me, you know, having, you know, worked in, you know, my career as an attorney, like, I enjoy challenges. And, you know, when it's something you can't figure out right away, it's like, that's a chance to kind of pull out your A game and, you know, really figure something out. And for people that are suffering this much, like, you know, you can get little wins, like there are little ways to improve our lives and then build on that momentum. But it's almost like you can't get there from here for a lot of people, because, you know, if you don't have that base of support and someone who gets 
exactly where you are and and your range of where it's possible for you to go, both in terms of deconditioning, maybe getting worse or improving your condition, um, you know, it, it's going to be really hard. We, we, we can't get out of it on our own. Like we really need support and context and information and, you know, to be empowered to make, um, you know, the best decisions for our personal circumstances. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think, you know, most of my clients are coming to me with, with plans of, you know, this is what I want. I think these are some things I can do. And what they really just need is, is the support and some back and forth to figure out exactly how that can be done. So I agree. I think that consistent connection is, is really that unfortunately missing part for a lot of people right now. Mm -hmm. And so helpful to, you know, like you say, mediate the lows, like, you know, to help through obstacles and setbacks, because those can be so devastating, especially when you have a lot of them pile up on each other, which Mm -hmm. seems to happen a lot. Um, You know, things we get like a illness or infection and, or surgery and things can kind of decondition and go off the rails pretty quickly, but also someone to celebrate those wins with, because, Mm -hmm. um, you know, for someone that's, you know, been bedridden, you know, taking a few steps, maybe like the Olympics for them. But if you're Mm -hmm. trying to talk about that with someone who doesn't have a hypermobility condition, it's like, yeah, I take a few steps all the time. What do you, you know, it's, but it, it really speaks to how individual our healthcare should be, or hopefully, you know, is, um, for people who are in a supportive situation and yeah, we got to mitigate the lows and, um, celebrate the highs. And so I think that's a really great perspective. Um, and, and so this is a question that just comes to mind, but, and it may be really difficult to answer, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it. Um, there's, so there's so much range, right. Of hypermobility, especially if you consider like localized joint hypermobility syndrome, like maybe one set of hypermobile joints, you know, all the way through to Ehlers-Danlos and, or, or Marfan syndrome or something, um, where, there can be, you know, just really a, a lot of issues. Do you have thoughts in general on, you know, what kind of exercises or types of exercise are more beneficial for the community as a whole? Like, you know, some people are, you know, you know, obviously you have Pilates training. And for, for me, it's like, I think Pilates and swimming are like my wheelhouse. Those are the things that are the best that fit with my personal symptoms and, you know, where I'm at. Um, But do you have thoughts on, you know, whether there are certain things that we, you know, I had a doctor once tell me to stop doing yoga. Oh, this is the worst thing for you. And then I've, I've since read, no, like it's not, you know, it's maybe if it's, you know, you've done right, it's not the worst thing. And, you know, actually deconditioning and doing nothing is, is worse. So do you have thoughts on like where for the, you know, the majority of the population you're seeing, like what kinds of exercises are helpful or is it just completely individual, like in your practice? Yeah. Um, I think the main thing is like meeting your body where you're at. So you bring up a great point because there is such a range for each person, you know, a, a different stage of life. Um, a different type of movement might work better for you. Um, I think one of the highlights is like 
finding something that you enjoy at least somewhat so that you're willing to consistently perform it. Um, you know, something that's just you know, such a drag and you're inconsistent with it is not going to be helpful over time. Um, trying to find a way to do some type of strengthening, um, you know, building muscle mass is important to support those um, joints. And then also thinking about um, working on some proprioceptive training. So, you know, some exercises that do make you work on understanding where your body is in space and working on your balance are some important components, but that can look like a lot of different things, including, you know, Pilates and yoga and swimming and walking and all those types of things. So highly individualized, um, but choosing something that works for your body right now. So if you've, you know, been really ill and in bed, going out for a run is going to be detrimental for you today, but could definitely be possible down the road, potentially, you know, if you do the right type of training, working with, you know, hopefully a professional that understands a safe progression. I think that's such a great point that not only is there individual individuality from patient to patient, but that there's such individuality from moment to moment in our lives, it almost <laughs> seems like. And the idea that what may work for us really well in our youth may be detrimental to us, you know, later on in life or vice versa even. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's just such an important point. Like we're, you know, being overly flexible or being extra flexible. Um, I, I do think we have a really wide range of outcomes, but it's, it, it can be devastating when a task that we love is taken away from us. And, mm -hmm. you know, that can feel like the world's getting smaller and that's why I think having someone who gets it and to put it in context and say, like, okay, let's be realistic about where we are now. Let's see where we can build from, you know, maybe that task that's been kind of ruled out for now could could be back in the picture someday. Um, mm -hmm. Or if not, like, how can we, you know, find something else that you enjoy as well and, mm -hmm. and go in a new direction? Yep, exactly. So you also have a very active um, social media page. Um, what have you learned from engaging with the social me media community for EDS and hypermobility conditions? Just any kind of observations or anything you want to share? Yeah. yeah, I feel like I've learned so much from this community. Um, they've taught me a lot more about you know frustrations and barriers they've faced both in the healthcare system, but also in, in everyday life. Um, They've taught me a lot about what they've found that works for them with functioning day to day. Um, a lot about disability advocacy. Um, I think it's it's a great um, platform for sharing information. Um, you know, building another community for yourself, um, especially if that's more challenging within your, your local community. So I think it's helped me understand, um, you know, the community overall in order to help my clients even further. 
Absolutely. And those are such, you know, great observations. And it's true, there are, there's a bunch of great voices out there who I think are doing some really great and refreshing disability advocacy that centers individuals. And, you know, it's such a good reminder that we're people first, and we're individuals first, and then we have, you know, the conditions and challenges um, that we have. But um, yeah, it's, it's great to hear that you've, you know, learned so much about advocacy. And like I said, I, I'm, I'm hopeful, I'm, I'm knocking on wood here, but I'm hoping yeah. the momentum is um, changing for the better, because it's been it's been pretty dismal for a mm-hmm. while, too long. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, we not, need to hit that tipping point. <laughs> yes. And, and that's so important that that tipping point, like we've seen that with so many cultural phenomena, especially recently, um, you know, not to um, you know, go too much into pop culture stuff, but it's, we've seen so many examples of things that were just accepted for so long, sometimes really egregious, awful things. And then, you know, it gets to that turning point and then it's a completely different direction. And then we have, we're having a completely different conversation. And so I'm hopeful seeing some of those other, um, you know, movements and social awareness things that, you know, maybe the narrative will, will eventually get to a more, um, reasonable place. <laughs> um, even just acknowledging our existence, I think would be huge. You know, if, if we didn't have to feel like we're kind of up against the world and always educating our friends and family and, and even doctors, you know, about what we're going through and, and seeking to just be believed in, you know, let alone treated or, you know, managed or helped. <laughs> so yeah, it's a tough road, but people like you are definitely Chipping away at it every day. Um, are th- yeah. Um, are there any particular areas of research into hypermobility conditions that are like of specific interest to you, or any research that, like you know, is re- you're really curious about and you think should be studied? I know there's been so so little research that it's <laughs> hard to mm-hmm. really make a starting point, but um, yeah, are there questions that? you know, you would like to see answered or sort of specific areas that you're really curious about? Yeah, um, I think there's a few areas. One, you know, I think, uh, unfortunately, hypermobile EDS and HSD diagnosis, the diagnostic process right now is is really challenging. So looking forward to more clarity and hopefully making diagnosis more straightforward. Unfortunately, that's still, you know, something that I'm hearing all too often. Um, Another area that I'm really interested in um, is pain neuroscience and pain neuroscience Mm -hmm. education and, um, you know, how we've uh, developed a better understanding of what persistent pain is. Um, There's been a lot of strides in it over the last two decades, um, improving awareness around it. But I'd really like to see um, some studies into the hypermobile population specifically with that, um, since definitely has some unique attributes. Um, so I think that would be some great information to have. Um, and then, you know, if I was listening to your episode with, um, Dr. Norris and, and Courtney and, um, hearing about animal models, it'd be amazing to, be able to hear about, you know, direct treatments in the future with, um, these conditions. Uh, yeah, (laughs) there's so many areas that I'd love to know more about and, 
and I'm also hoping in the future that I can, um, you know, do some with uh, health coaching and um, this community to hopefully show some evidence for how helpful it can be. Absolutely. I, I completely second everything you just said. And I think if we could get those three things, it would be such a big step forward. I think I agree. You know, I, I've gotten some feedback here about, you know, how difficult the diagnostic criteria have been for a lot of people. And um, I, I really hope we get some further refinement on that, um, especially in light of those papers that came out from, I think it was the Toronto Good Hope clinic um, that looked at how the diagnostic criteria, I think they're a clinic that um, treats mainly, if not exclusively, EDS patients. Um, and I think they found that like 80 or 85% of patients, you know, that had EDS diagnoses lost their diagnoses. If, if you applied the 27 diagnostic criteria, and, you know, like I said, I've had people um, comment that, you know, with their observations about how they're um, problematic in some ways. And so, yeah, it would be so great to get some further refinement and clarity. And then the pain neuroscience, I think is so important. Um, and, you know, I've learned so much about, you know, pain wiring and, you know, how mm-hmm. nerves sense cold and temperature. And um, I think we are, we are very sensitive and, you know, mm-hmm. I'm starting to finally put together the connection with barometric pressure that I think the barometric pressure either being really high or really low um, has an effect on me. But until knowing that, it, it just feels like this odd feeling that comes out of the ether, out of like, <laughs> it does come from the ether, I guess. But, um, you know, it, it's easy for us to internalize and think, gosh, why am I just not feeling well today? You know, I must be, I must be annoyed at so-and-so for that comment they said, or I must be frustrated that I, you know, whatever spilled something or it's easy for us to take that on ourselves. And so the more aware we we are, we're not doing that self gaslighting that we talked about earlier where it's like, no, you're fine. It's, it's more like, Oh, okay. It's really low pressure today. So, you know, maybe I'm not on my a game and I can be a little more compassionate and kind of work around that and, and know that this feeling I'm having is finite, that it's going to get better once, you know, the, pressure system moves through. So mm-hmm. hold on and, you know, it'll tomorrow will be a, a new day and hopefully um, a little better. But that awareness that just makes it all less scary, I mm-hmm. think is so important. And then thank you again for underlining and highlighting the Norris Lab's great work. You know, Dr. Norris and um, Courtney Gensimer are just so awesome and kudos to them for um, working on this research. It's incredibly exciting. And especially, you know, the animal models and the, you know, the possibility for treatment. Um, I think they might still be taking um, patients for their study that they're working mm-hmm. on. So if people are interested, um, you know, check out their website, the links um, are in the Norris Lab episode. Um, if people are interested in getting involved, um I just, you know, did the questionnaire myself to get involved because I'm so encouraged by what they're doing. So, um, yeah, there's a lot on the horizon that I think gives us reason to hope. And so I completely agree. If we could get those three things under Mm -hmm. control, that might be sort of enough of a a tide turner um, there. But, yeah, I'm I'm on pins and needles waiting for Dr. Norris's article and and Courtney Gensimer's article to to come out. Um, I I think – it feels like a a game changer, but again, knock on wood. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Agreed. 
Um, so I guess let's let's just transition um, for a moment uh, to our, our last question here. Um, do you have any go-to tips to managing some of the symptoms of hypermobility conditions? Again, I know it's so individual and, you know, one man's medicine is another man's poison or one person's, um, you know, healing thing is another person's detriment. Um, so, are, but, but are there any particular devices, pain creams, you know, I, I, I really love the Theragun massager, um, and this, um, Penetrex pain cream, those things really work for me. Are there things that you found are helpful in like a large swath of people or is it more just you really individualized? Yeah. Um, I would say, you know, because everyone has, um, such unique symptoms and, um, response to treatment that I do hesitate to kind of give, um, blanket recommendations outside of, you know, safely experimenting. So, you know, if if you do hear about a product and it is safe for you to try, you know, I think that can be helpful. Um, and going to those communities to find out what others have tried can be helpful there. Um, and that's why I do think it can be helpful to work with a provider to kind of narrow down those possible options that will likely work best for you. Um, so you don't feel like I don't know where to start. Um, but I do recommend finding like go-tos for specifically like when you're progressing, when you're working on more maintenance and when you're working on recovery. So, you know, there's going to be times when you, have been fairly stable and you have the capacity to work on increasing your participation and moving towards bigger goals. Um, So finding the movement and those tools that are going to work for you at that stage to continue moving forward. And then figuring out um, what helps you maintain where you're at. So when you're going to have times when you don't have the time and the energy to be, you know, working on progressing um, on things. So what works for you at that stage, maintain where you're at and not decline. Um, And then, you know, you're likely going to have flare ups. And what are those go to's that hopefully shorten that flare up and, and make it more manageable so you can get back to that baseline. Um, they're going to look different for everyone. And like we talked about before with movement, it's likely going to change for you over time. So, you know, something that, uh, worked for you five years ago might not work for you now and, and that's okay. Um, but working on thinking about your environment, how does that set up work for you at each of those three points, your nutrition, your movement, your support system, you know, do you need to lean on that support system more during your flare ups? And then like you were saying, you know, there's also all these great modalities that you can use or, you know, do you have your favorite heating pad and braces and pillows that help support you and make you more comfortable? Um, so I know that wasn't clear cut at all. Um, but as we've been talking about, you know, everyone responds, uh, so differently. So doing your research and using your support networks to explore those options that are out there for you. Yeah. I love that answer. Um, the word that 
lit up my brain as soon as you said it was experimenting. I think mm-hmm. that's such a great lens to look at this through that, um, you know, especially when we're suffering or, you know, a lot of us have kind of hit that brick wall where the symptoms just pile up and, you know, maybe it's an injury or an illness that really just kind of um, knocks us, you know, down quite a bit. And, you know, when you're in that kind of uh, almost an abyss, you know, I, I have different names for it myself. Sometimes I call it the gloomies or, you know, the, the kind of the void that we end up staring into. Um, it's it's really difficult. And so just getting that concept of experimenting into your mind so that because everything feels so fraught, you know, it's like I just need to be out of pain or I just need to be less fatigued. I just I need I'm frustrated. I need to be done with this. Mm-hmm. And so you try something and it doesn't work and then you're more discouraged and you try something else that, you know, maybe someone um, on social media or, or, you know, a friend is like, oh, this worked great for me. And so you think, oh, wonderful. And you try it and maybe it doesn't work or maybe it actually irritate something else. And so that can be so discouraging. Mm-hmm. And so thinking of this as a lifelong process where we're experimenting with ourselves, I think is a great perspective. And then I love how you broke it down into like, you know, it's in how you work with patients to develop like, okay, how are what, what things are going to be helpful while you're building strength, what things are going to be helpful while you're maintaining, and then thinking consciously of like rest and recovery, and having those different buckets and having your go to's for whatever phase you happen to be in just is genius. So I think it's a fantastic answer. And it speaks to, again, the nuance and the individuality. And I just, yeah, love that approach so much. So great. Thank you. Um, yeah. And that was going to be my last question. But then I, in thinking about um, some of the discussions we had um, or on previous episodes, um, I guess I just wanted, I've asked you know so many guests about this because I'm just so deeply curious um, you know, there's so much debate in the community about whether um, Ehlers-Danlos and particularly hypermobility um, is rare or rarely diagnosed. And um, I think it was the Dr. Norris episode where um, Courtney Gensimer was pointing out she thinks it's rarely diagnosed. Um, there's some studies that suggest, I think I saw a study recently that suggested up to like 3% of the population, maybe, um, there's so many different numbers that get thrown out there. And that's why it's so helpful to talk to someone like you that sees a lot of hypermobile patients. Um, I guess in your experience, do you, do you have any kind of uh, opinion on that, you know, rare versus rarely diagnosed phenomenon? Yeah. Um, so I will say that I'm, I'm biased because I do see hypermobile clients and I, you know, I've been involved in the, the dance world for a long time. So there's, there's a lot of hypermobility, uh, in that world as well. But because of that, you know, I, I personally think that it's, it's not rare and that it's, it's rarely diagnosed and talking to so many people that, um, are struggling um, to a certain extent. Like we've talked about, there's such a range. And I think that um, that also shows that there's a lot of people out there and they haven't necessarily um, fit a criteria. Um, but, you know, they it causes issues with their functioning enough that uh it's of of concern so yeah my perspective um as as biased as it is i would i would say it's um unfortunately just rarely diagnosed at this point 
Yeah, unfortunately, that's consistent with my experience too. Now having met so many people over these past five, going on six years um, since I was diagnosed, um, it and you know just hearing of how one person gets diagnosed and then they tell their friends and then some of their friends get di- this kind of cascade <laughs> effect because there's just so little awareness. It's just again shocking how many medical providers. Um, you know, we'll have just kind of a blank face when you say Ehlers-Danlos syndrome or, you know, quick start Googling out of the corner of their eye. And it's like, it's okay mm-hmm. to not know, like, let's talk about it, but it's, it's real. I assure you, <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> it's been around for a long, long, long time. Like I, you know, I say this all the time, but Hippocrates first described hypermobility, um, and I think 400 BC, um, mm-hmm. but in the more modern era, you know, Ehlers and Danlos were from the late, 19th century, early 20th century. So that's, you know, we're, we're going on 100 years here of, um, you know, knowing about these conditions, and yet somehow we're, we're still kind of stuck. And so, um, yeah, I, it, and now kind of, again, knowing so many people, I feel like I see, you know, joints bend backwards, like even watching the Super Bowl, there were a few players, and I saw one player's knee go away to the side. And I thought, ooh, that, <laughs> oh, you know, could be an injury or something. But, you know, I wonder if, you know, that person's been worked up. And it, it really is a challenge. It seems like, you know, as hard as it is for women, um, you know, it's also really hard for men, because, I think it, it's often so much seen as a women's condition, even though it affects it, you know, appears from a genetic level to affect people 50, 50. And, you know, I know there's some theories about how testosterone, you know, helps you feel less pain or maybe estrogen loosens joints up more, but I've also seen studies um, saying, you know, maybe, you know, men with hypermobility um, have more pain over time or, you know, and, and who knows, there could be so many factors, you know, mm-hmm. lack of ability to talk about it. And, you know, who knows, there's just so much to tease out in what's going on there. Um, but yeah, again, going back to that much used buzzword awareness, 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 mm-hmm. awareness, um, yep. it's really, um, the first step. And, um, and you, you have just an abundance. You're so, um, in tune to this population. So yeah. Um, kudos to you for all you do. It's really incredibly impressive. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, and, uh, so that's, that's all our questions for today. Um, thank you so much to Dr. Megan Barker for joining us today to talk about her practice. Uh, if you want to check out more about Megan's practice, check out her website at rhythmhealthllc.com or follow her on Instagram at Hypermobility Health Coach. Um, and thanks to all of our listeners for joining us on this episode of Hypermobility Happy Hour. Um, as always, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions for future topics, um, please feel free to reach out to us, um, hypermobilityhappyhour at gmail.com. Um, and if you've reached out to me and your emails fallen through the cracks, I've been having some serious scheduling and, you know, just yeah, a lot of stuff. So please feel free to reach out again. If I've um, missed you, um, very sorry, definitely not um, intentionally. Um, and we've received so much great feedback, especially lately, and it really helps to shape our content and, you know, find new guests. And so thank you um, to all of those who have reached out and to all of our listeners. Um, we really appreciate your time. So thanks again to um, Dr. Megan Barker, and uh, we will see you next time on Hypermobility Happy Hour. Bye.